Amen. Praising our Savior all day long. Amen. What a thought. How many of us actually do that? How many actually actually spend the day praising our Savior all day long and not getting caught up with other distractions and not getting caught up with life in general? It's a little hard to do, isn't it? That's a heavy-weighted question this morning. Man, Pastor Ken, don't do that to me. I haven't had enough coffee yet. (laughs) So, hey, so this week we're in week three of our series called Marked, um, Called by the Savior. And, you know, back in week one, we looked at the call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we saw how they immediately followed Jesus when Jesus said to follow me. And if you happen to miss that message, you can go to our uh, website and go to church online. You can actually listen to it on the podcast or go to YouTube so you can actually see that message. And then last week, we talked about the call of Levi, also known as Matthew. And we really saw how when Jesus called his disciples, he did not discriminate on who he called. The offer to become a disciple of Jesus is for everybody. And although we may not always agree with everybody, Jesus is open to everybody receiving the gospel. And we should be open just like that for everybody to receive the gospel. You know, this week we're going to look at the stories of three different individuals. And a lot of people call these the the would-be or could-have-been disciples. And it's interesting that when we look at these three today, Jesus' response to them wasn't in a big public gathering or a big public teaching. It was a one-on-one conversation with each one of these individuals. So to say that each one of us may get this same word from Jesus, you can't say that. However, I think as we look at the situations that each of these three people saw themselves in, we may be able to find a little bit of us inside of them and see how they responded or how Jesus responded to what they had to say to him. And we need to understand that following Jesus requires that we leave our place of comfort. We need to leave the place of our comfort. We need to leave that security. And we need to refuse to allow excuses to keep us from following him wherever he calls us to go. And sometimes he's going to call us very deep places. Sometimes he's just going to call you to be in your own home. But we need to be available for when he calls us. And, you know, it's interesting that people who really welcome uh, God and welcome every opportunity to reassess their commitment to him, they, they really don't mind listening to what God's word has to say. But it is interesting when you start to talk about these would-be disciples, that people who really haven't put all their trust in God, or they've kind of become complacent with their walk with God, how they start to squirm in their seats a little bit when we start speaking of the would-be disciples. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And one of the questions I have for you today as we're going through this is, which of these three, something to think about, which of these three people do you relate to, and what is your distraction? So as a reminder, Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew. 
Um, you can use smartphone, iPad, whatever you got. Also, the scripture will be up here on the screen um, for you to read also. So let's go ahead and dig in. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to dig into your word today, Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts that we may receive what it is that you have us to receive. Open our ears so that we may hear your voice. And may our words be yours. And may your name be glorified. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so you see, as, as Jesus calls us to follow him, we've got to understand that we're going to face many challenges. We're going to face many challenges, and within this story, we're going to see three individuals who faced challenges. They have an opportunity to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus wherever he's going, be with him as he travels, as he teaches, and as he heals others. But for various reasons, however, they all make excuses for why they can't go and follow Jesus at that very moment. And you think about it, their responses were definitely very different from that of Peter, James, John, Andrew, and of Levi. If you remember, they all immediately dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. And what we see today is Luke doesn't tell us what their response was. Luke doesn't tell us if they followed him, if they followed Jesus, or really what happened after it. And at first we may look and Jesus' comments may seem a little harsh. It may be, well, that don't sound like Jesus. That don't sound like something that Jesus would say. But we need to really consider what Jesus is communicating to them, what he is telling them. And interesting, like I said, Luke doesn't share how the three responded. So let's go ahead and begin in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 58. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So like I said, this doesn't seem like a normal Jesus answer, does it? Kind of like, really? Jesus must be having a bad day. You know, but I also want you to notice in the text here, Jesus didn't call him. Jesus did not walk up like we've seen him to everyone else and say, follow me. This person came to Jesus. So you know they had to understand who Jesus was. They had to have seen him, maybe heard about the miracles or seen him themselves. And he comes up saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And I think it's admirable that he came up to Jesus and said that. But I don't think he understands what that meant. And you see, it's interesting. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew actually describes that this person was a scribe. So being a scribe, he would have been well-educated on the law, probably paid very well for what he did, probably held a very high standard in society. 
So I really don't think he knew what he was asking for. And so basically this scribe comes up and says, Rabbi, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And I think this is why Jesus corrects him. I think what this guy's problem is, he's got a future distraction. He's got a future distraction of who he thinks Jesus is. Because remember, as, as Jews, they expected the Messiah to do what? Come and conquer. He was going to come in on this white stallion and have his army, and he was going to sit on the throne of David and take them out from under Roman suppression. That's what they were expecting. And Jesus basically telling them, I'm not what you're expecting. That's not why I came. I didn't come to be a conquering king to sit on the throne of David. That'll come in time. But that's not why I came. So I think the scribe had this future distraction of what he was assuming was going to happen instead of what was really going to happen. And I think it's admirable that he came up and, and said, oh, I, Jesus, I want to follow you. But it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of something that Peter said in Luke chapter 22. In verse 33 to 34, he said, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. This is Peter. Peter the rock. One of the first ones that Jesus called. He'd been walking with Jesus. He said this, and he'd been with him. This scribe had... I got to admit, hey, it was nice you think you're going to come and follow him. But you don't know the cost. Even Peter, who was walking with him, did not understand the cost. The disciples that walked with him for three years did not understand the cost. And understand, at this time in this scripture, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He is heading to the cross at this time. He knows where he's going. He starts to preach about his death, burial, and resurrection. They don't understand it. So it was admirable what this scribe wanted to do. But I don't think he counted the cost. And that's a question I got for you. Have you truly counted the cost of following Jesus? Truly. You know, earlier in this chapter, in verses 23 through 26, Jesus actually says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of all the holy angels. You see, we're coming into this age in America where some things in this book are not going to be able to be preached. You're not going to be able to talk about them. And if you really don't believe that, think about this. They are banning Dr. Seuss. They've banned Dr. Seuss. They're banning other things. And I don't think it's too far away before they start trying to dig in and take out parts of God's word because it's offensive to somebody. It's just going to be a matter of time. And, you know, I really don't know where you may stand on the fence, Republican, Democrat. And I'm the first to tell you right now, I really don't care. 
I really don't care because my Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ and he's still on the throne. That is what counts. And that is who we need back in this, in this country. We need him back inside America. Republicans and Democrats are not going to save us. Republicans and Democrats are not going to change this world. Only Jesus is going to change this world. And only us as Christ followers can change this world. We've got to be the ones to speak loud and speak proud of who our Jesus is. Because he is still on the throne. He is still on the throne. This is not, our kingdom is to come. This is not our world. And as much as we may live here in the U.S. with our biggest concern is, do we have connection to our phones? I lost reception. <gasps> I'm going to lose it. Walk out the house and forget your phone and get a half hour down the road, you start freaking out. <gasps> Where's my phone? Because you're so connected to it. Don't you wish you were connected to Jesus that way? That if you were half hour down the road, you realize you forgot Jesus? Some of us forget him all the time. We think about him only when we come to church on Sunday. We need to follow him all the time. And don't get distracted by things. Don't get distracted by our futures. We need to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And you think about this, him using his words back then, people knew what picking up your cross daily meant. And I hope you understand it also. When he mentioned pick up your cross daily, the cross was a method used to kill people. So it brought death. And as we pick up our cross daily, I hope it reminds you of death to your old self. Death to the person you used to be. Death to whatever it is that's distracting you from being wholeheartedly picking up your cross daily and following him to where he wants you to go. And you know, the Romans were very good at a couple things. They perfected death. But you know the other thing they perfected? They perfected people being obedient, being obedient to the Roman Empire. They had it down pat. One of the ways they did it was they would give them bread and entertainment. I'm going to give you this bread, I'm going to give you entertainment, but after I give you this, you're subjected to us. You got to do whatever we tell you to do. And if you stepped out of line, they would hang you on a cross on the side of the road for everybody to see. They were brutal. So anyone who, when he says you got to pick up your cross daily, would understand exactly what Jesus meant. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. And I think what Jesus is saying is using this same illustration of the cross in which he would be sacrificed on that he's telling them to count the cost. And we need to count the cost. And he says in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 28, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intend to build, on, to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. So how many of us today in America, where we have freedom, count the cost of following Jesus. There are people around this world who get martyred still today for following Jesus. And we're worried about if we got cell phone connection. And, and I don't want you to understand, I'm not, I'm not up here trying to plead to you to follow Jesus. 
That's not what Jesus is doing here either. He's not trying to, you know, dissuade someone into following him. And we don't know if the person followed him or not. Scripture doesn't tell us. Now, if you're like me, you're assuming the dude probably walked away. Man, I can't do that. I can't be your disciple. I wanted to, but I can't. You know, I had this vision of this king, this mighty king coming in. But you're not going to do that. So where's going to be my accolades? Where's my money? Where's my being going to be? Because you're not what I'm expecting. And I think we do the same thing. I think we do the same thing today. Here he was a well-off Jewish person, and Jesus was telling him, I don't even have, have a place to sleep. Sometimes i got to go hungry. Are you willing to do that? And, you know, I'm thinking this scribe kind of came to him kind of like the two brothers. Jesus, when you get in your glory, can we have the, the seats of glory on your left hand and your right hand? And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking for. They didn't count the cost. And I think we fail at counting the cost. Understanding that they all came to him, not understanding that he was going to die, that he was going to be a sacrifice. And so what Jesus is doing to the scribe and what I'm doing to you this morning is simply asking, are you prepared to watch out for future distractions? Are you prepared to watch out for future distractions which may be causing you not to follow Jesus? Because you have in your own mind set, this is what it's going to be, and then Jesus says, no, this is what you think, but this is what it's going to be. Are you willing to not be distracted by the future distractions and follow Jesus where he calls you to follow him? And understand, your future distractions could be simple, and it could be good things, not even bad things. It could be your retirement plan. It could be you know, some plans you have for your future life. It doesn't have to be something bad. But ultimately, remember, Jesus didn't have a permanent home. And even though his sacrifice of laying down his own life to redeem our sins and overcome evil, Jesus already made many sacrifices for us prior to that. Jesus had given up his home. He'd given up his dependence on life and was dependent on the hospitality of other people. And Jesus' response to man reminds us all that there is a cost to following Jesus. Think about this. There's a cost to following Jesus. If the scripture actually said this, how many people do you think would follow Jesus Christ? Come follow Jesus and you may face the loss of friends, family, family reputation, career, and possibly even your life. Think you can preach that to somebody? <laughs> of course not. But ultimately, we can. That can happen. That can happen as a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the first things that happens, and I was reading an article this morning about this church. They had a really big women's ministry. And it was flourishing. The women just loved coming to church. And the problem was the husbands didn't. And the husbands started saying, oh, you're giving too much to the church. Oh, you spend too much time at the church. You're this, you're that. Because the husbands weren't getting engaged in church. And the pastor is asking, what do I do? How can I get the men engaged? And it's pretty interesting because we do run into that in our own lives. All of a sudden, you know, one of the people in the household 
accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior and they start to change, the other person, oh, what cult do you belong to? And some of us have probably had that conversation. Because all of a sudden, well, what are you doing? Well, Jesus tells us it could come at a cost. But of course, that cost of following him also comes with his love and his grace. And one of the things in the past through our divorce care ministries that I learned is when people would come through divorce care, they were getting ready to go through a divorce, and they really didn't know Jesus. And we presented the gospel and they accepted Jesus. They started to change. And then we saw marriages reconciled because one person found Jesus. So wholeheartedly, yes, it could cost you family, but at the same time, it can cost you friends, it can cost you anything else. But we need to be obedient to what God calls us to do. And by his love and grace and being Jesus with skin on and everything that we do, we may ultimately be able to plant them seeds so that someone else accepts Jesus Christ. And it could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be your children, it could be your next door neighbor. But we got to bear that cross and be willing to bear that cross each and every day. Let's go ahead and look at this second person. Luke 59, uh, Luke 9, 59 and 60. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. So we see in the second situation, Jesus actually calls this person. Jesus actually calls them to follow me. And the individual requests first to go and bury his dead. Sounds like, a, okay, well, you got to go bury your dad, go bury your dad. It sounds good, but then what's Jesus say? Let the dead bury their dead. And you go through and you, know, you read all the different commentaries and what theologians say, and theologians are so split on this. Was the father dead? Was he dying? Or was the kid just, hey, I want to wait till my dad dies down the road? Now, I personally think there's no way the father could have already been dead. And the reason I say that is Jewish custom. Through Jewish custom, you would assume that the father wasn't, wouldn't have been dead because if he was already dead, the guy wouldn't have been talking to Jesus. He wouldn't have been talking to Jesus because proper burial was the most important thing for Jews. And it, someone not burying their father would have been scandalous. The burying of their father took precedence over study of the law. It took precedence over temple service, killing of a Passover lamb. It took precedence over circumcision, even the reading of the law. The only way you could get out of that burial process is if you had a, doing a Nazarite vow or if you happened to be the high priest at the time in the temple. Those were the only two people who were unable to not be there to bury their father. So we can pretty much say that the father probably wasn't dead. Now it's possible maybe he was on his dead bed, deathbed or maybe bedridden, you know, and that the father could die at any day, so he wanted to wait. And we need to understand that when Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, it seems callous. But Jesus is not saying to neglect your family, so do not take that He's saying neglect your family because, in fact, he actually rebukes the scribes in Mark 7, 10 when he says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. 
So he's not saying to dishonor your parents. But I think what he is saying is John 5, 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You see, this gentleman had present distractions. He had distractions that were in his life right now. He basically tells Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you, but I don't know when. I got this to take care of first. I, I got something to do. I'm not quite ready yet. You know, Jesus, I really want to follow you, but, but I got this thing that I got to do first. We all got that but somewhere in our life. And the problem is some of us put that but in front of what Jesus calls us to do. What comes before Jesus in your life? What comes before Jesus in your present life? That's a hard question. I could probably think of a list of things that I try not to put in front of Jesus, but they get put in front of Jesus in my life. And I did want to preface this by saying if, even if your spouse, your son, daughter, mother, father, sister, brother, grandmother, or grandfather, if any of those even come before Jesus, you're failing and you're falling prey to present distractions. Now, I do want to preface that because I don't want someone to come up after service and say, you know, oh, you tell me I got to hate my family to love Jesus. No, I'm not. No, I am not telling you that. The Ten Commandments actually say, tell us to honor our mother and our father. Which I'm here to tell you, I reminded my kids on a regular basis and my grandkids get reminded by my kids on a regular basis. You better honor your mother and your father. I'll go pull out a switch. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what a switch is. <laughs> so it's, it's not, you know, don't let it jade you and that's not what he's saying. It's not about dishonoring your parents, but it could be a, your family, but it could be a present distraction. If your kids are taking more time of your life than you taking time with Jesus, that's a present distraction. Jesus should still be first. And one of the things I even tell people in marriage counseling, when you look at your life, Jesus has to be number one. Jesus has to be number one, then you got your husband and your wife. The closer both of you are to Jesus, the closer you are to each other. That's how it works. But Jesus is number one. And that's what we got to look for. You know, think about it. He says, let the dead go bury their own dead. But as for you, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Because you think about it, if by the way that his father dies and doesn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's going to be judgment and his dad's going to spend eternity where? In hell. So instead of worrying about his father's date of death, he needs to be worried more about his father's new spiritual birthday. He tells him, go preach the gospel. And see, present distractions could easily jade us and keep us from the things we should be doing. And let's face it, we all got mortgages to pay. We all got grass to cut. We all got fences to mend. We all got things we've got to do. We all have family to visit. And now that things are starting to open up, it's really exciting because you know, some of the COVID lockdowns are down, so now you can actually start seeing kids and grandkids again. How about all them restaurant gift cards you thought you'd never be able to use again that you can now use again? 
They were a stack of, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to use these. Well, now that stack's getting smaller and smaller. That's a good thing. But don't let our present distractions interfere with the future call or our current call that God has on our life. Don't let it stop what God's doing in your life. And interesting in Matthew's account, he actually, in this exchange, this gentleman that Jesus says, follow me, is actually listed as a disciple. He is actually called a disciple in Matthew's um, gospel. So what that means is he was already with Jesus. So maybe Jesus was in, in this one area and he was a disciple of Jesus in this area. So the call from Jesus was, hey, I need you to uproot. I need you to follow me. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem so I can die on a cross and I need you to come with me. And the guy made excuses for not going with him. Now, it doesn't mean he, he wasn't a believer or anything like that. It just meant, oh, I, I want to follow you and I've been following you, but I got this. And some of us are the same way. I've been following you, Jesus, but I got this I got to do here. I want to follow you and go do this, but I, but I can't because I got to take care of this. And we all have them present distractions that come into our lives. You know, understand the urgency of Jesus' mission, however, required an immediate response to leave all and to follow him. And let's go ahead and move on to the last. It says, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So on the surface, this seems reasonable, right? Hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Just let me go say goodbye. Let me just go say goodbye to my family. But Jesus replies, no one who puts his hand on the plow looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. Again, it doesn't sound like a really normal Jesus response, does it? Well, let's shed a little bit of light on this. A farmer who's using a plow, when he's hooked to the plow, has to continue to look straight. If he starts looking left or starts looking right, the plow starts to go the way they're looking. So therefore, instead of having all these straight lines and getting the most out of your crop and getting the best return on your investment and being fruitful, it's all jacked up and all turned side and side and round and round. You're not going to get everything you're called to get. So in that time, they would have understand exactly what he was talking about. And of course, by looking back, it was looking at a past distraction. It was looking at a distraction. It was in the past. And whether it's good or bad, you know, we all have some past distractions that could actually be good things. You know, I remember when I went on this mission trip. Man, I went on this mission trip to Haiti right after the hurricane. It was absolutely amazing. We built houses. We did all this. So, you know, I realized that was back in 1990, but I'm good, okay? I'm still good because I can live on that past distraction. I did a good thing. It was in 1990, but I was good. Well, maybe it's, you know, I remember... We used to do this in the 70s. Or we used to do this in the 80s. So, so we're good, right? Well, it was 40, 50 years ago. There are people in this room that are younger than that. So as you talk about 70s and 80s, they're thinking, man, I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't even a twinkle. I was nowhere around. 
And we all like to talk about the good old days. I mean, if you, if you grew up watching TV, we all saw Al Bundy. Al Bundy was the greatest football player ever in Polk County. And we heard about it all the time. And he was a shoe salesman. But we all also hear about that story of, hey, you know, you get together with your buddies and, hey, remember that football game we were playing in? And I threw that winning touchdown pass? And the crowd went crazy? Oh, that was 20 years ago. Wow. Seems like it was yesterday. Hey, you know, it's interesting. Uh, NCAA wrestling tournament just got over. Woohoo! Go Iowa. Hawkeyes won it all. Um, but even the same thing. Hey, remember when we were at state wrestling? Remember when we did this? And it's so easy to get caught up on the past. And hey, we did good things. We did all this for Jesus. It's, it's good. What have you done lately? What have you done in the present? And you also think about past distraction could be, hey, you know, just let me get one last hit. And then I'll come to Jesus. Just let me drink this last drink. And I'll come to Jesus. Just let me do this one more thing. And then I'll come to Jesus. I just got to hold on to this. This is my past. This is who I am. I got to hold on. Just let me one more time. Come on, Jesus. Let me hold on to the past just a little bit longer. Instead of letting it go. Let it go and move forward. And what's happening here is this guy is basically saying, in essence, just let me deal with my past first. How many of us just need to deal with our past first? Just need to deal with our past and then be ready to do what Jesus calls us to do. Then be obedient to what he calls us to do. And Jesus is basically telling him, I don't have time. We don't have time for this. We got to move. You know, all of these distractions with the future, the present, and the past can all be so dangerous. Jesus does not want half-hearted followers. He doesn't want people who are half-hearted and half-committed, who's a fan who just puts on their Jesus jersey on a Sunday. He wants followers. Jesus isn't saying don't remember your past. But he is saying don't let your past dictate who you are and what you're doing today. Because your past does not dictate who you are. It is your past for a reason. And that past becomes part of your testimony or part of your message. But we don't live there. We move on from there. And you see to the first, Jesus says, you're going to follow me, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to be disappointed. You're expecting all this and all I got is this. The man wanted his riches, he wanted accolades, he wanted to be with Jesus as he came in as a conquering king. And that isn't what he was going to get. Jesus invites the second one. Guy says, yeah, I'll follow you, but not yet. I got this thing I got to go take care of. And the third one volunteers. Third one volunteers, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I got something more important I got to do first but I'll follow you. Let me deal with my past first. And then, you know, once I get cleaned up, I'll be good. I'm not good enough yet to follow you, Jesus. Jesus is going to take you just the way you are. Whether you're messed up, whether you're jacked up, no matter where, where you are right now in your life, Jesus will accept you. 
And then he will radically change your life. And, you know, I think it's so interesting. Each week we read Luke 10.2, which interestingly is the verses right after these in the Bible. And I think it's interesting that Jesus tells us to pray in Luke 10.2. And I really think it's because, you know, we know the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I think what that means is that people are constantly getting distracted. He's talking about people getting distracted and doing something else. And then he says, pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers into the harvest. Because people are distracted and not doing what they're called to do. Giving excuses, reasons, or whatever it may be, why they're not going to follow Jesus into the harvest. And that's exactly what we're seeing in these verses. We're seeing it each and every day. And because that we're expecting the right thing, and, and, and you know, people are never watching out for distractions. We're never watching out for them. It's like being invited to the, to the feast of the king. And most of you know that scripture, being invited to the feast, and then they all made excuses why they couldn't go to the feast. So the king sent his servants out to the highways and the byways to bring everybody in. The same thing. People made excuses. They were invited to the banquet of the king and they did not do it. They did not accept that invitation. They had excuses. You know, and I think we're all in good company. So if you're sitting here today and saying, man, pastor, I, I thought I was good. You're in good company. Paul himself, the great warrior for Christ, encourages us with these words in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our love for Jesus and our passion for seeing his kingdom to come here on earth must be the priority in our life so that we're not distracted. We got to maintain that focus, maintain who he calls us to be, and get rid of them distractions in our life. And we all have them. On Wednesday night in Bible study, we were talking about uh, sin. And I actually said, you know, as we're going through life and we're looking at things, we got to ask these three questions. Is it of God? Is it of Satan? Or is it of you? Because a lot of times it's us. It's not from God. And it's not from Satan. It's you yourself that's holding you back. It's you yourself that's getting that distraction and stopping yourself from wholeheartedly following Jesus to where he calls you to be. It's ourselves. We are our biggest obstacle of ourselves following Jesus because of stuff. Because like I said, we know, I know me better than anyone knows me. And you know you better than anyone knows you. And guess what? The world does not revolve around any one of us. Even if you think so, it doesn't. And, you know, and someone here may be saying, hey, you know, Pastor Ken, that's really good, but I don't know this Jesus guy. And after talking about this, whoo, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> no one ever said following Jesus is easy. Because it's not. Picking up your cross daily and following him. But understand that you get to spend eternity in heaven compared to eternity in hell. It's a big difference. And if you don't know Jesus and you got questions, hey, you can come up at the end of the service. I'll be over here. You can ask me 
questions. I'll be more than happy to answer anything you got. And maybe you're like, you know what? I've been distracted. Holy Spirit's been calling me to follow Jesus, and I just haven't done it. You can come up here and say, Pastor Ken, I've had this distraction, and, and I need to put it behind me and go forward and accept Jesus, and we can lock that down today. And if you're waiting to become perfect, today's not going to happen. You know, he's going to accept you right to where you are. We're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. But God's word says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it sounds so easy. And he will radically change your life. But it takes work. It takes not being distracted. And maybe you've just been holding on to this past, present, or future distraction of, of what you're expecting or what you expected. And it's holding you back from doing everything Jesus called you to do. You can come up here and, Pastor Ken, I want to pray about this. Well, let's pray about it. Or you can just come up here and leave it at the altar. Say, Jesus, I've been distracted. I've got this past distraction. Take it from me. Well, I've got this present distraction that's stopping me from going where you've called me to go. Or maybe your future is you're expecting this and Jesus is telling you to do this and you're fighting it all the way. Don't be afraid to give it back to Jesus and let him radically change your life and become the person he has called you to be. So Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I just want to thank you, Lord. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word and for your love and your grace. And Lord, I come to you as a sinner who has had many distractions and who still has distractions in their life. And Lord, I ask that you not only take my distractions away, but take the distractions away from those who hear my voice. Lord, that we may wholly follow you with a whole heart, that we will seek you and not us. That we know you are in control and we are not. And Lord, allow us to be bold and admit when, we, when it's from us and not from you. And that we will give it back to you. And Lord, we love you, we honor you, we praise you, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.